Psalm 72 by Solomon. God, give the king your justice, your righteousness to the royal son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains shall bring prosperity to the people. The hills bring the fruit of righteousness. He will judge the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break the oppressor in pieces. They shall fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. He will come down like rain on the mown grass, as showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish, and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him, his enemies shall lick the dust. <laughs> the kings of Tarshish and of the islands will bring tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yes, all the kings shall fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor who has no helper. He will have pity on the poor and the needy and he will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their soul from oppression and violence their blood will be precious in his sight. They shall live, and to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Men shall pray for him continually, they shall bless him all day long. Abundance of grain shall be throughout the land, its fruit sways like Lebanon. Let it flourish, thriving like the grass of the field. His name endures forever, his name continues as long as the sun. Men shall be blessed by him. All nations will call him blessed. Praise be to Yahweh God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvellous deeds. Blessed be his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This ends the prayers by David, the son of Jesse. Well, this psalm is interesting in multiple ways. First of all, it's the last psalm of book two. And you may have noticed, but probably didn't, I just read the benediction to the book. So that was verses 18 and 19. So every one of the five books, you know, of the Psalms has a benediction at the end. So because we got to the end of the last chapter of book two, there was a little benediction. So we had the Psalm, which went up to verse 17, and then verses 18 and 19 were the benediction. Praise be to Yahweh God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds, Blessed be his glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. Amen. That was the benediction. Kind of like at the end of church, you speak words of blessing. Those words are kind of like to finish off the whole of book two. And so that's pretty cool. But then there's this one extra mysterious verse. <laughs> the very last verse of book two. It says, this ends the prayers by David, the son of Jesse. So that's really interesting. Um, because David has a lot of Psalms in the book of Psalms. He has more than 75, about 75 at least, but I think he has a few more. And um, some of the Psalms, at least 18 of them, are after this. So the question is, you know, why would it say this ends the prayers by David if there's 18 more Psalms slash prayers to come after this? Well, the answer is because it's these five books. So this is at the end of the book, and originally these five books were not together. It wasn't as like one big book of Psalms, 
Um, if it was originally like that, this comment would probably be at the end of book five. But no, these were five books, and this particular book ended like that, and they were gathered together in the order, one, two, three, four, five, that's why. <laughs> and so that's an example of the human touch that we find in the Bible. So we know the Bible is the word of God, but it's also written by people, and it's, it's like a fully human book and a fully divine book all at the same time. It's a bit like Jesus. Jesus is a, is a full human, but he's also fully God, all at the same time. So we see things like the way that an author would write, the style of writing, for example, is like their style of writing. It's human, but the words and the things that come out are inspired by the Lord. So we've got these little touches in here, which are very human, and yet this is the, the, the word of the Lord. It's quite a remarkable combination. Now this Psalm is a Psalm of Solomon, and I think we've only got one of those. In, out of 150 psalms, we've only got one by Solomon, this is it. And it's a very cool psalm. That's another reason why this is interesting. We um, have a book in the Bible called the Song of Solomon. And um, so we have a, another song in the Bible written by Solomon, but here we have a song by Solomon too. So we have two songs of Solomon in the Bible. We have this one chapter and another whole book. But also in Ecclesiastes, it tells us that Solomon wrote over a thousand songs. So we know that there are 998 at least songs of Solomon we don't know anything about, but we do have two. And this is one of them. So this is a psalm about dominion. In other words, it's a psalm about conquering and ruling and being in control and being in charge. This is a psalm all about that written by Solomon. And it starts out by saying, it's a prayer, he says, God, give the king, now who's the king? Solomon was. Give the king your justice, your righteousness to the royal son. So who's he, what's he talking about? Well, the king, which is himself, he's saying, give me your justice. But then the second line is a parallel statement. All, all the way through Hebrew poetry, we've I've explained to you that the idea is that you have one thing said one way and the next line is like the same thing said but with different words. So he's talking about himself the second time again. The first line he says, give the king your justice. In other words, God, give me justice. But the second line he says, give righteousness to the royal son. Well, it's him again. He's the royal son. So David was originally the king and Solomon is his royal son. And originally when David wanted to build a temple, God said to David, you're not going to build the temple, but your son is going to build the temple. Who was that? Solomon, of course. <laughs> but um, interestingly, as I've talked about this before, the true temple that was being talked about was the body of Christ. And that it was God's plan for the church in the world. And who was the son that built the true temple? It was the true son, Jesus Christ. So on one level, you know, there was a royal son, Solomon. But this psalm is also talking on two levels as well. One level is Solomon. He's got dominion. He's got the empire of Israel, and the whole psalm is about that. You know, he's saying, you know, God, give me righteousness to rule so that I can judge these people. And he talks about his empire and all that it controls and how he's going to be a blessing to all its people. That's true but there's a even more true meaning at work here. It's Christ. Christ is the royal son. He's the one that's going to rule with justice. Like verse two, 
It says he, because he's talking about himself, Solomon, but he doesn't realize that he's truly talking about Christ. It says he will judge the people with righteousness and the poor with justice. Well, that's Jesus through and through. Hebrews 1 verse 8 and 9 says that Christ will rule with a scepter of righteousness. See, that's the true meaning of it. And um, in verse 5, Solomon says, They shall fear you while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations. So if this was only talking about the empire of Israel, it would not have been talking about all generations. But this is talking about Christ, which of course is eternal through all generations. It says in verse 7, In his days the righteous will flourish, and the abundance of peace will grow until the moon is no more. So of course in Solomon's days, righteousness would flourish and peace would abound. True, but it's only in Christ that righteousness truly abounds and peace truly flourishes until the moon is no more. In other words, for all time until the world comes to an end and then, even then. In verse 8, Solomon says he, he's talking about himself, he shall have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So the river is the Euphrates River and the the um, sea to sea, it's from the Mediterranean Sea through to the, what's that other sea? Uh, anyway, it's it's probably the Sea of Galilee or somewhere there, but it's talking about how the fact that, that he, Solomon, would have dominion, he would control this whole area of land from the Euphrates River right through to the, to the Mediterranean Sea, even to the ends of the earth, you know, all the way to Tarshish. And Solomon did have a big say on a huge big chunk of the land, and yet, it's talking about Christ, because Christ has dominion over all, over all the ends of the earth. Not just the ends of the earth as they understood it then, but the ends of the earth now. In verse 12 it says, He will deliver the needy when he cries. That's Christ and the gospel. In verse 17, His name endures forever. That is definitely Christ. His name does endure forever. Praise be to Yahweh, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. That right there is the definition of marvelous, things that God does. Blessed be his glorious name forever and ever. Let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. So we have here a psalm of dominion. Now, some people think that the world is going to get worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and they think that... Um, you know, the only way that Christ will have dominion is, you know, eventually in heaven, he'll conquer everything. But this psalm very clearly says that Christ will have dominion over all the ends of the earth. Through him, the poor will be helped. Well, we're not talking about heaven when we're talking about people who are poor. We're talking about the earth. And Christ will have dominion over the earth to the ends of the earth. This is a gospel thing. The gospel is supposed to grow and conquer, and it is. Now, if you're, you know, if you're attending a, a little church somewhere and it's it's got elderly folk in it, and you know, it's not attracting new families, and it might seem from your narrow perspective that the gospel's not conquering the world. <laughs> well, you know, it's like years ago, John Lennon, one of the Beatles. You know, the Beatles were famous for a while. And uh, he, as a teenager, he went to, you know, he, he used to go to church with his grandma in England. And uh, he's in church, you know, and it's full of 30 or 40 old women and no men. And he looks around and he, he gets the impression that, that Christianity is meaningless. 
But then he goes out and becomes a famous Beatle and he's got all these screaming fans and all these girls wanting to get their photo with him and all of this. And then he makes this comment, you know, we're more famous than Jesus. It's a dumb, dumb thing to say because <laughs> he's speaking from just his very narrow perspective. I um, Google have a thing called Google Trends and you can search uh, how often things are like, you can look up how often things are searched for online. So I looked up the Beatles. The Beatles, as time goes on, are searched for less and less and less and less. And um, so, you know, Google don't tell you exactly how, they don't put a number on the searches, but you can compare one search against another search and they'll graph them on a graph. So you don't know the numbers, but you can compare them in intensity. So the Beatles, you know, I, I looked at them and, you know, from 1990 or late 90s, whenever it was they started graphing the Beatles, you know, on a graph like this, their trend was like this, but gradually going down. Because basically as people who remember the Beatles, you know, die and pass away and younger people grow up, you know, they don't think about the Beatles much because, you know, there's other bands and other music. But I also did a search for Jesus. Jesus was on a graph. He was going the other way. As time goes on, he searched for more and more and more. It's interesting, the graphs of Jesus, every time it comes to Easter and Christmas, there's like a bloop, 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 bloop like this. But over time, the graph of Jesus is going up slowly. And then I did a comparison with the Beatles and Jesus, put them together. The Beatles were way down here and Jesus's graph was way up here. Jesus's graph is going up and the Beatles graph is going down. So John Lennon, are you more famous than Jesus? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it's just perspective. No, the gospel. <laughs> just because your narrow perspective doesn't think Jesus is increasing much. No, the gospel all around the world is growing and increasing more and more. And this psalm, a psalm of dominion, it's really true. So <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your power and your love. We thank you for the, God, the dominion of Christ. And Lord, let the name of the Lord increase. Yeah, Lord, we acknowledge there are some parts of the world where people are turning their back on you at the moment. But thank you for all those other parts where the gospel is so powerfully impacting nations for Christ, like China and like in Africa, and even now in all those Arabian nations. Thank you, Lord, so much. And Lord, renew the West like it has been in the past. Thank you, Lord, the West held the gospel. and Without that, we wouldn't have it today. But now, Lord, renew your word in the West, in the name of Jesus. Amen.